Welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. So we like playing around with different formats here on Adopted Feels, and this episode is definitely an experiment of sorts, like a kind of audio log. Let us know what you think. Today's episode is called A Non-Productive Week in My Soul Life. For those of you who might be interested in life in Korea or living in one's birth country, we thought we'd give you a little six-month update, or seven months really to be precise, about Hannah's life in Seoul. Hannah has instructed me to say, you may not want to listen to Hannah's personal diary, and or you may already live in Korea or have lived in Korea extensively. In that case, or for whatever reason, please feel free to skip this episode by all means. But I feel it's my duty as co-host, my perhaps unfair advantage as audio editor, and privileges friend to say that this episode is, like Hannah, funny and tender and self-reflective, offering an honest and descriptive glimpse into her everyday life in Seoul, complete with work-related stress, the rare home-cooked meal, baking when you don't have an oven, friendship, community, and the ability to make meaning and create metaphors in or out of the situations she finds herself in, which I think reflects a unique kind of strength. Basically, I think you should keep listening. Saturday. I wake up and one of the first things I do is check the Misamonji app on my phone, which measures air pollution. This has become second nature and it will determine, amongst other things, whether I do my running training outside, which is preferable, or at the gym. Ever since I saw an article about a research study linking air pollution to hair loss, My vanity has prevented me from running outside on very bad air days, as opposed to the usual fairly bad air days. Unfortunately, my avoidance of rain, snow, and recent snow, which means icy paths, means that I run outside even less. What can I say? I'm a delicate Australian flower. I toddle up the hill to my local gym, which is kind of deserted due to the coronavirus scare. Though I feel bad for the gym's business, honestly, it's really nice. I'm no longer the only woman lifting weights amongst a bunch of men. I'm just one of the only people using equipment, period. I carefully balance my iPad on the treadmill and attempt 10K while watching season two of Sex Education so I don't get too bored. By the way, I love this show. It has a lot of heart. Even with the iPad, I get tired of running on the treadmill and stop at 9Ks. In the afternoon, my baking urges strike. Like most Koreans, I don't have an oven at home, and not having one seems to fuel an intense desire to bake all the more. There's probably a word for that psychological phenomenon, but I've forgotten it. I coordinate with my friend in possession of an oven over Kakao, the national messaging app. I measure out all the ingredients at home, and then head off to her place, about 30 minutes away, by subway. I even wrap the eggs in a cut-up piece of an egg carton, and then in bubble wrap. I've got this ingredient transportation all down pat. My second banana bread attempt is definitely an improvement on the first, though I overcooked that first one, but I'm still not 100% satisfied with the flavour. I'll have to try again. I think the psychological term for this is compulsive repetition. The need to keep putting yourself in the same situation so you can get it right and feel a sense of control over your circumstances. Sounds about right. Compulsive baking leads me to be late 
even later than usual, to a fundraising taco night event by Goal, the only adoptee-run post-adoption services organization in Korea. My friends are sending me group selfies, captioned with, Where are you? and ETA? As I head out to community events like these, I wonder if this is going to be a big night, or a really, really big night. When I arrive at the Itaewon venue, the atmosphere is convivial. There's a good turnout, which is a relief for Goal. I'm a bit disappointed when they run out of tequila early. Apparently some people here have been drinking since 5, and it shows. Around 10pm, we move on to round 2, or Icha, at a nearby cocktail bar. Around 1am, a handful of us continue on to Samcha at one of the trashiest clubs in Itaewon called The Fountain. They play top 40 hits, they don't charge a cover fee, and they seem to let anyone in, for better or worse. I'm sure many Korean adoptees who have visited Seoul have found themselves at this fine establishment at some point. The club is packed, and the five of us jostle for space on the dance floor as other Koreans encroach upon us sometimes cutting straight through the middle of our tiny circle. We make our way to the bathroom or to the bar in pairs, holding onto hands or wrists as we snake our way through the thick crowds. We alert each other when we notice some random guy hovering sleazily right behind us. It's 3am and I'm more than tipsy, but as we dance together in this club, delineating our bodies amongst this mass of Koreans, it strikes me as a metaphor for adoptees in Korea. We belong here too, we have every right to be here, and we will be each other's guides as we navigate this life in Korea. Sacha, round four, is a chicken kebab that I remember to be quite delicious. The yogurt is spiked with dill. Around 3.30am, we bundle ourselves into taxis, sharing rides wherever possible. Sunday. Sunday is a recovery day. I clean my apartment, I drink coffee, I rewatch the season 2 finale of Sex Education because I loved it so much, I look up the lyrics of the song by Chip Taylor used in the closing scene, and decide that I'm going to have that song at my in the very distant future wedding. Later, I meet some friends for Indian food in Yongsan, which is not bad and probably the best I've had in this country, but I'm yet to be impressed by Indian food in Korea. If anyone has any suggestions to the contrary, please let me know. Round two is coffee at a Starbucks reserve, uh, more upscale than regular Starbucks stores, with an additional reserve menu. I'm equally impressed and, and appalled by Starbucks marketing scheme in Korea. They have aggressively placed stores everywhere, sometimes on every corner of large intersections, buying out small independent coffee shops. They are also slightly more expensive than other coffee chains in Korea, deliberately so, because apparently Koreans like the prestige of expensive things, which makes Starbucks Korea more expensive than Starbucks in any other country, I'm told. I guess their scheme has worked, because somehow this coffee snob from Melbourne, one of the only cities in the world which has proudly limited the spread of Starbucks in favour of the independent cafe scene, now spends around seven US dollars for a just okay coffee on a regular basis. What's more, I am sorely tempted by, the, by every new drop in their merchandise. The year of the rat range of mugs and tumblers was very cute, though I managed to resist. 
Monday. Monday is a particularly crappy Monday. I did not sleep all night, or rather I was in a half restless sleep, aware of being semi-awake but trying to keep my eyes closed. It was not, I suspect, due to too much coffee yesterday, but due to the drawn-out job search process I currently find myself in, and the lack of stability and uncertainty about my future in Korea. Last month, I reached the final round for one job, where I was ultimately unsuccessful, and now I'm in the process of being considered for another one. It's a three-stage interview affair, which seems to be typical for Korean companies, and they want all of the previous dates of every single job I ever worked at. The process makes me reflect on my professional and personal histories, which are both messy and don't look great on paper. I think only another so-called failed artist who took a variety of different part-time jobs to support their art, which was classical music in my case, and later retrained in something else, can truly understand. I try my best not to judge myself and remind myself that I'm living by my values and ultimately care more about my eulogy than my CV. Sometimes the self-talk works and sometimes it doesn't. Meanwhile, my recently pierced nose has developed a recurring pimply bump which has now swelled to some embarrassing degree, constantly tempting me to poke and prod at it. I take myself off to an English-speaking piercing studio in Itaewon for advice. I tell the assistant about my bump and ask her if it looks bad. She steps forward and peers at my nose. Yes, it's bad, she says. I feel tired and stressed and panicked. I have limited time before I have to go to my next English tutoring gig and I don't need a pus-filled lump on my nose on top of everything else or at any of my upcoming job interviews. I ask her what to do. When did you get it pierced, she asks. Six weeks ago, I reply. Six weeks? That's not long. They can take four to six months to heal. We can either remove the nose ring for you and it will heal quickly or you can keep it, but if you keep it, you have to take care of it. I am so close to getting it removed right there on the spot. But I take a deep breath and decide to give it a little more time. The assistant recommends a different Korean ointment. Apparently the one I've been using is also bad and tells me that I can come in at any time to get it removed without an appointment. I feel like this is another metaphor. At times, I've been so tempted to run from Korea back to my adoptive country, which, for most of us, is always an option. What am I doing here, I ask myself. This was a mistake. But here, again, I am gently talked down from the ledge and decide to stay the course. During the day, I hear about Parasite's sweep of the Oscars, and I have some feelings about it. Broad but distinct feelings of Korean pride, and many of my Korean adoptee and Korean-American friends do too. On social media, I see various people making japaguri, half japagetti and noguri ramen, with hanu beef in, in honour of the film and director Bong. After my tutoring commitments, I'm chatting with a friend on cacao and invite her over for a simple dinner. I love the spontaneity of it. I feel sure that if I was in Melbourne, such a dinner would have been planned at least a week ago or longer. Oh yes, that sounds great. I'm very busy with work, but I'm free on the second Tuesday of next month. Does that suit you?
I make a savory pancake with washed aged kimchi, some pasta with anchovies and garlic lemon fried breadcrumbs, and a simple salad. We share a box of enormous strawberries that my friend has brought over for dessert with some sweetened whipped cream cut with Greek yogurt alongside. A simple dinner becomes a respectable three-course meal, complete with wine from my seemingly endless supply of housewarming party leftovers. My saucepan is too big to sit properly on my piece-of-shit electric stove. I'm not being overly harsh. It probably cost about $30, and it really is a piece-of-shit. And we have to wash the dishes multiple times during the night because otherwise there is no space to wash or prep food in my tiny kitchenette. And there's no dishwasher, of course. But the food turns out well and it tastes twice as good being shared. And in a city which people, in which people don't entertain at home so much, my friend's company makes my space feel more inhabited. A bit like the velveteen rabbit who becomes real by being loved, my humble one-room apartment and low Korean-style dining table become infused by the warmth of the conversation, and a typically meh Monday night turns into a night that doesn't feel like a Monday at all. Tuesday. The coronavirus scare means that all of my afternoon classes at the library where I teach have been cancelled for the month. Instead, I am rearranging books and sticking tiny labels onto them. This leads me to further question the purpose of my life. Halfway through my work, my Kwajang Nim, or branch manager, calls us over to stop and share a snack. Today, it's guabegi, or rice flour donuts, from the nearby traditional market. Every day that I try to eat more healthily or eat less carbs or something, out comes ramen or dokboki or croquettes or something like that. But I like it. Due to the coronavirus, the Korean classes I enrolled in have been postponed twice now. A running event I had signed up for in early March was cancelled and refunds issued. Some clubs are screening people at the door by checking body temperatures with a thermometer. With the national text message warnings about both the air pollution and the virus, Seoul feels a bit apocalyptic. Face masks, though fairly ineffective, are now mandatory on public transport. If you wear glasses or sunglasses at the same time, the glasses will of course fog up. You can also smell your own breath circulating inside the mask, which I find disgusting. Still, though the risk of the virus may be higher in Korea, I'm glad to be here right now rather than deal with the discrimination that Asians are facing in many Western countries. After work, I meet a friend for Sichuanese food. We have some fried baby crabs that are delicious, but the spiky little legs get painfully stuck between your teeth. And we share halasan soju served in a set with tonic, lemon and a bucket of ice, as if we're at a club. After dinner, we go to a coin noribang, where you pay per song rather than by the hour, in the privacy of your own little room. I know we've mentioned noribang many times on this podcast, but they're truly a wonderful thing. If I had grown up with coin noribang, I would have surely gone every day after school. This one is unusually clean and bright, unlike many of your typical noribangs that smell like cigarette smoke and other unpleasant things. We step inside and spray down the microphone shafts with hand sanitizer and put fresh protective snoods like tiny shower caps over the speakers. 
The songs have recently been updated, so I try Into the Woods from Frozen 2 for the first time, as well as Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, Madonna's Like a Prayer, and a very bad rendition of Kendrick Lamar's Humble. Did you know that you can transpose up and down, you can search by most popular English language songs, and you can also bring up the musical score to follow on screen? Genius. Wednesday. I didn't sleep again last night, and I think it must have been because of my second round job interview today. I have no idea what they're going to ask me in this second job interview, since I felt that the first one was fairly comprehensive, and indeed some of the questions overlap. They asked me to introduce myself, or do a chagi soge in Korean, which I managed to fumble through. It's pretty cringeworthy, I'm sure. And I'm not sure why this is necessary as the rest of the interview is conducted in English. But I'm willing to jump through all of the hoops because decent non-English teaching full-time jobs in English come up rarely here. They also ask me about my greatest strength and weakness, that old interview chestnut. Note to self, always have something prepared for this question. I think I said that my greatest strength was being adaptable and a fast learner due to moving around a lot as a kid, a strength that all adoptees could claim. Overall, I feel like the interview has gone moderately well. They tell me that I'll hear back by Friday. On the way home, I spot some Australian chocolate, pods, in three different varieties at that, in a store in the underground subway, and I share it on Instagram. A couple of Koreans who previously lived in Australia contact me to ask for the exact location. Wednesday night is adoptee running group night, led by a friend and accomplished distance runner. This same group really helped me to make friends and feel more settled in Korea when I lived here two years ago, so it will always hold a special place in my heart, and I will always make time for it. Tonight we do some hill sprints, or strides, which I believe are like a 90% capacity sprint. I'd have to check again with our running coach. We are advised to do four to eight strides only, and despite absolutely zero recent hill training, I push myself to do eight. For the next few days, I can't walk properly, and I'm reminded of a valuable lesson applicable to all kinds of work. The measure is all. Or, in other words, stop after a reasonable time when it still feels good, even if you can keep going, in order to make it easier to return to the work the next day. Tonight, a new member joins our group, an adoptee who has only lived in Korea, who has only arrived in Korea uh, yesterday, for the first time since being adopted, to live here for a year. I think back to my first trip here, 10 years ago, and I can't imagine all the impressions and questions and feelings which must be running through their mind. Our post-run dinner is kamjitang, a spicy red soup with huge hunks of tender pork on the bone, potatoes, vegetables, and optional, or should I say obligatory, ramen noodles. I decline beer or soju tonight because, though I hardly drink alcohol in Australia, I have the opportunity to drink almost every night here in Seoul, so I figure that abstaining at least every second night is a good idea. Honestly, it's nice to drink and temporarily forget about the stresses of living in this foreign country without the language, a migrant for the second time in my life. To quote Roald Dahl, I drink more than I probably should here, 
to give myself faith, hope and courage, at least for a little while. And in this way, I teeter somewhere between normality and a mild alcohol dependence. During dinner, it also occurs to me that I have almost no shyness here amongst my friends in this adoptee community, where I'm distinguished by my personality and never by my race or the fact that I'm adopted, and I'm never judged for how Asian I am or am not, or by how much Korean I can speak or cannot. And somehow, with this freedom, I explore the full dimensions of my personal expression, like an octopus extending its tentacles in all directions. Thursday. Thursday begins with more English tutoring and teaching commitments, which I'll skip over here. Trust me, I would talk to you more about my paid work if I found it more interesting or if my heart was more in it. Before you judge me for my situation, if you're inclined to do so, please know that I'm judging myself harshly enough for the both of us. After work, I attend a yoga class, specifically for adoptees, taught by an adoptee, a certified yoga instructor, and another friend. After the class, some, pe some people go home, and others of us go to a great little kimchi jjigae and john restaurant that I credit myself with discovering, right in the tourist district of Myeongdong. Someone orders a little makuli, the cloudy, milky Korean rice wine, because if you're having john, well, you have to have makuli too. We talk about jobs. We talk about the way some of us compromise with unfulfilling work in order to stay here. Others use research grants to come here for extended periods of time. And others shun the Korean work culture and often measly work benefits altogether and instead balance their time between Korea and adoptive countries. We talk about people coming and going. When people who have been here for a long time, whom I first met 10 years ago in Korea, people who feel like fixtures in the community, it's when those people leave that I feel most shaken. One friend tells us that she will probably leave in July. Don't go, you're triggering my abandonment issues, I say. And she understands exactly how that can be a truth and a joke at the same time. I'm out for the third night in a row now. And believe it or not, I'm an introverted person who also needs time alone to recharge and reflect. But at the same time, there's always a comforting chorus of me too's that inevitably comes when I share my experiences within this community. And I feel the tension between not wanting to be social and needing that support right now. As I've often said, I deeply love and admire our community here and I draw so much understanding, belonging, support and fun from it. At the risk of sounding patronizing, I particularly appreciate my onnis, older female adoptees here, a benefit of our intergenerational community, and I am grateful for their wisdom and compassion. After dinner, round three is a bar, and I love the people who are going, but I peel myself away from the pack, exercising the tiniest bit of self-restraint. That night, post-yoga, I sleep soundly for the first time in weeks, and resolve to do more yoga, something I found very helpful and grounding throughout my adult life. Friday. It's not until late Friday afternoon that I finally hear back about the job interview. 
By this stage, my stomach is in a knot and I've already mentally prepared myself to be let down, but it seems like they want to proceed to the next step. I'm pleased, but at the same time, I'm impatient for the whole process to come to an end one way or another. It feels like I'm swimming across a small ocean and I don't know how far away the opposite shore is or if I can make it. It's also Valentine's Day. Perhaps the cruelest, most superficial, and most exclusionary of all the Hallmark holidays. But I have plans for a Galentine's Day dinner with some friends that I'm looking forward to. Again, I load up my backpack with some good quality pasta, olive oil, and parmesan cheese smuggled back from Australia. And drop by Salt House, a Korean producer of small goods, to pick up some guanciale or pancetta to make a simple carbonara at my friend's house. Unfortunately, Salt House is sold out of all bacon products on that day, and I feel a minor tantrum coming on in the store. But we managed to find some bacon at the Ito on Foreign Food Mart instead. Dinner is nice and chill. I avoid overcooking the pasta, the wine is pretty good considering that it's Korea, and my friends and I open up to each other in ways that we haven't before. We also talk about dating in Korea in your 30s, but that's another story. The week has come to an end. Part of me was reluctant to share this update before I had secured some great job or had found myself riding some big life high. Particularly following our previous episode, my tongue-in-cheek guide to moving to Korea, I wish that I could tell you that I'm completely settled now, that I'm over the hump. But we've always tried to be open and honest on this podcast and waiting until I was in the perfect place to tell a perfect story is not our style. So, seven months later, things are still falling into place. But things take time, and I'm trying to stay the course. After dinner, I come home to a lovely tech bed delivery from my Korean aunt and uncle sitting outside my front door. I open the box and find a seaweed and rice snack that I first tried at their place. Numerous heads of unpeeled garlic cloves. The peeled kind is much more common here and then it goes off quickly. And a more expensive bougie jar of duenjang jjigae because, sorry, duenjang, just duenjang. (laughs) Because I had mentioned that I was starting to experiment with simple Korean cooking. They're so generous and thoughtful and I use a translation app to tell them so. Before bed... I check my goddamn high-maintenance nose piercing in the mirror. And you know what? It looks a little better. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you'd like to support the podcast further, we have a Patreon where you can support us from as little as a dollar a month.